Today we're in Matthew chapter 6. So if you open up your Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 6, starting on verse 5. And the reason I said those words is because it kind of goes with what Pastor preached last week, right? About your motive in relation to giving. What is your motive behind your giving? And more importantly, we are, impor- we are uh, in the business of approving God. That God's approval is enough for us and not what other people think. And he had gone on to say that we are free from the bondage of what other people think. And freedom is found in a life solely pleasing to God. So today, Jesus continues with the same attitude in mind, but this time with prayer. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, starting on verse 5, we will continue on the Sermon on the Mount series. And... uh, And so when Jesus explains to his followers how to pray, he first explains by telling them how not to pray. It's kind of an interesting thing. He first explains them how, you know, he's going to explain how to pray, but he starts off with, this is how you don't pray. Very interesting. So what is it that I mean? And and I'll be honest, uh, this was kind of hard to find a story about, but have you ever experienced explaining something so complicated yet it was very simple to somebody and sometimes the way that you just kind of start off if someone's doing something you just start off by saying well that's not how you do it it actually goes like this and uh and to be honest you know i i get i guess everybody in here at some capacity folds their laundry but laundry is a very simple concept yet if you were trying to explain to someone how you fold your laundry or your t-shirt it gets kind of complicated it gets kind of wordy and so if you could think about maybe a newlywed couple, let's say a newlywed couple, for the first time they're, they're, they got their laundry and now it's meshed together. And uh, I could just imagine this, the husband's sitting on the couch and he's folding laundry and the wife is walking by and she says, what are you doing? Why are you folding your t-shirts that way? That's so weird. And I could just imagine him saying, well, how do you fold your t-shirt? And she would say, not like that. I'll tell you that. So I got a little t-shirt here. I'm kind of curious on what people do with their t-shirt. Whoops. I didn't know. Thank you. She gives me extra water. Um, Now, this is a little kid's t-shirt, obviously, so it might be a little bit easier than than what uh, we fold usually. But uh, I'll I'll show you the way that I fold it, and you might think that is the weirdest way you can fold a t-shirt. So I fold it down in half here. One more time. And what I do is I fold the, the... the sleeves in, and I make a little rectangle here. Let's see here. Now you, you're, I'm already feeling judged. I already know. That's okay. <laughs> this is how I fold my t-shirt. How many of you guys fold your t-shirt that way? I got one. Look at that. Two. Okay. Three. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you the way that my mom showed me. It's the way that clothing stores do it, right? They, they fold it sideways like this, and then they, so it looks presentable. Right? Right? Do you do that? How many of you do that? Let's see. Okay, the majority. Now, the reason I did that is because I remember sitting down in my college dorm room, and my roommate's folding his t-shirts. I'm like, you're so weird. And he's folding it like this in half, and he, and he folds it this way. And then what he does is, the last step, he goes in, and he rolls it like this. When you got a little bit of space, you start thinking creatively, y'all. I'm just saying. 
So all his t-shirts are folded nicely, and he has, you know, different colors and different sections and things like that. But, uh, but I bet some of you have had a moment like this. Free t-shirt, anybody? No. Um, I bet any of you may have had an experience where someone's doing something, and they're just doing it terribly wrong, right? And the best way you can explain to do it, you say, it's just, it's not like that. Let me start from the beginning. And this is how Jesus talks to his disciples. This is how you don't pray because he wants to start with the negatives. He's saying, look, this, I, I'm going to call out some things. You're, it's weird that you're doing it this way. It's weird that you're folding laundry this way. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 5, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and to pray on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, we recognize you as king over this place, as king in our lives. Lord, we know that your truth stands above any other truth in this world. We know that there's something different about it, and we know that uh, you have created us to, to have a purpose. And sometimes when we need help, we, we need to go to you, Father. And, and so, pray, Lord, I pray that this morning when we talk about prayer, that, Lord, we really get down and we get real with you. And we start to really speak with you like we're talking to a person, not as a super holy extra person, but someone who is in need. And Lord, you supply us. You, you give us exactly what we need, even before we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus starts off with the how not before he starts with the how to. And you can see this in verse 5, but whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Now, uh, last week, Pastor Philip talked about the word hypocrite, right? If you guys can remember, he talked about those that are in the theater acting or pretenders that are acting. They have big masks and they're doing theater plays. And he says, don't be like the pretenders. Don't be like the actors who stand in the street corners who want to be heard. And the word street corners, right, if you think about it, the widest road is probably when you turn because you get two traffic ways and it's the most widest streets that you can find. So they, the hypocrites want to be heard by as many people as they want to be heard by. They want to be seen and heard by other people. If you keep going, it says, truly I tell you, they have the reward. And that's something that Pastor Philip also preached about last week, right? What kind of reward are they having? Well, the reward is that they want to please people. And whether or not that works out for them, they will live by other people. And they'll live by the control of what other people think. But it says, but when you pray, I love that. But when you pray, it's a call to rise above the crowd to be real. But when you pray, Go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. The two, two very opposite things. Those that are in the street corners to be seen and heard by other people. Those who are in a private room 
to pray to their father who is in secret. Those who are in the street corners, those who are in the private room with their father and who's in secret. Now notice a few things here. The audience, right? The audience, the who. Who are we praying to? Because it sounds like this first hypocrite group is they're praying, the pretenders are praying so that they can be elevated by other people, right? And those who are in secret pray to their father who's in secret. They don't want to be elevated by others. They want to elevate God. The second is the location. Where? Where is this person praying? This person is praying on the street corners. This person is praying in the room. And therefore, these two things affects, affect the motive, the motive of what we do and why we do things. Now, you may be thinking in your seat, well, we just prayed out loud in a public setting in front of all these people. Now, it, what is Jesus' point? Well, I hear you say, Jesus, that we're not to pray with others or in front of others. Are we not to pray in a public place? And I think the answer is, uh, of course not. We have to remember the context throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus continues to flip the script, turning the world upside down. His kingdom does not look like the world's. So he's trying to make a point. In fact, he's calling out those who use an audience and a location to elevate themselves and not God. So is there a world where we can do those things and not elevate ourselves and elevate God? I think so. But that's what Pastor Philip preached about last week as well, the motive behind what we do. Jesus wants to eliminate the things that may corrupt true and sincere prayer to God. And because we are uh, creatures by pride and, and selfishness and we want to be seen by others, Jesus is saying make prayers not about yourselves, but, but make prayers about God, about Him. And again, as Pastor Philip, I'm going to keep referring to last week, but he said this is not a behavior modification. This is a transformational heart. He's not trying to just do a checklist off Christianity. He is trying to fix or trying to transform our heart from within. He's trying to answer the question of motive. Now, if we continue in verse 6, it says, but when you pray, go to your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what type of reward will God give us? I think it's from the bondage of what other people think. And I'll be honest, I think that we can truly understand what God wants from us when other people aren't involved in our thinking. Other people aren't involved in how we pray. We just want God's approval. We just want what he wants from us. So it's, it's essential that each of us find a place in time every single week to get away. To be in a place where you're unobserved, undisturbed, and unheard by people. And I'll be honest, we are most honest when we're with God alone. I can think about, you know, if I were to have conversations with Kenzie, with my wife, if we're having conversations in front of everybody, I, I bet it's not really a deep, intimate conversation. It's only whenever we are alone and we talk about things. And I think that's how God wants us to be as well. We talk about the most nitty-gritty, deep things of God when we are alone with God, and I think that's his point. 
that God will reward us whenever we are free from the bondage of what other people think. Now, verse 7, let's continue on. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. The Gentiles. So we got the hypocrites, now we're on to the Gentiles. Gentile, what that means, it's, it's the non-Jewish people. And what he's referring to are the Jewish, non-Jewish people that are uh, following pagan uh, gods and they're worshiping pagan gods. And he's using this word babble. And the definition of babble means to talk rapidly, continuously, in a foolish or incomprehensible way. To babble. And it says that they will be heard for their many words. This is a long, ritualistic, repetitive, and I'll be quite frank with you, annoying prayer. Right? Acts 19, if you're ever interested, the pagans, what they would do, there was a group of people in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And these people had a, a goddess there, the goddess of Artemis, the goddess of fertility. And in Acts 19, I encourage you to, to, to read it this week. There is a riot that is caused because uh, there are a few believers like Paul and a few other apostles who are preaching God's word. And in return, these people are angry at them for preaching God's word. So they start chanting a prayer to their goddess Artemis. And they say, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they go on and on and on for two hours straight. And I can't imagine if you and I were sitting there to think, hearing this, we're like, man, this is so annoying. They just keep chanting these words. And they're long and they're ritualistic and they're mechanical and they're repetitive. And this is what it means to babble. And it, it's, it's though as if God has, he's like this far distant being off in the universe. And we say, oh God, we summon you today to give us success. It's like this genie in a bottle, right? And that's not how God is. That's not who he is. And, and Jesus is saying, don't babble like them. Don't babble like the, the, the Gentiles who who pray this way. Don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the pagans who worship and pray to their God by babbling with their many words. Verse 8 says, Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. And I think Jesus is getting at a great point here. He says, Realize who you're talking to. You're talking to the God of the universe, the king of everything. God is transcendent, which means he's above everything. There's nobody like him, yet he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. He's a very personal God. And Jesus is saying, look, go the simple route. Go very direct with God. Be very sincere with him. Get to the point of your prayer, right? Uh, those of you who have kids, I mean, I can't imagine. They, if somebody wants something in, in the store, and they're going on and on and on about the story, how they want it, it's like, just tell me what you need, son, and I'll give it to you. I promise. Right? Martin Luther said, prayers should be brief, frequent, and intense. Augustine, or Augustine, he said, remove from prayer much speaking, not much praying. Sometimes we think that the most fervent prayers are the ones with the many words in them. 
And I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I think that God knows us. He knows what we need before we ask him. He is our father, right? He, it says right there, he is our father who knows the things that you need before you ask him. He cares about you. He cares so deeply for you if you only ask him. He's not this distant, robotic creature in the sky who if you rub the, the, the genie bottle, then, he, then he'll come to life. No, he wants to be involved in your life. That we shouldn't have this robotic way of talking to God that we babble on. So to sum things up, we have two people here, the hypocrites and the Gentiles. And he says, don't be like the pretenders and don't be like the ones who keep using fancy words. But be real, be sincere to God. So intentionally living like Jesus, this is part of your bulletin here, means not playing pretend with God and approaching him sincerely. To not playing pretend. We don't want to be pretenders to God. God, know, God sees us. He, he can see you right through us. But come to him sincerely because he wants you to. The, and the idea is, we, we can fool ourselves. We can deceive ourselves by trying to deceive others. And by trying to, to deceive others, we actually end up deceiving God. If we want to be seen by others, and we want to be heard by others, and we want to have these fancy words to, to make sure that we're a pretender and make sure that God you know, can, can see us. And, and, and so we, we, we kind of elevate ourselves in some way, and we actually end up deceiving ourselves. We deceive God in the process. We deceive ourselves. We're not being honest with ourselves. It's a very, very uh, strict teaching here because, again, he's teaching us how not to pray. This is how you don't pray. Now, the next section is the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, now, this is how you pray. Verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. I'm reading the CSB, by the way. Your, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others in their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses." Lord's Prayer. How many of you guys know this in the uh, KJV version? Anybody? Yeah, I know this. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and do not... Uh, uh, oh, uh-oh. Brain fart. But forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Deliver us. Uh-oh. All right. Thank you. I don't know why. I just spaced out. You know, and I'll be honest, I, I feel like um, in sports a lot, uh, whenever I did sports a lot, um, we, we would pray this prayer right before a game. And we would all get down on one knee, and we would all huddle up and grab each other, and, and we would, you know, hug each other, and we would pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We would pray this prayer every single game. When the nerves were up, when we were ready to go, we were about to get our game started, and we would pray this prayer as if God will give us a win or if God will protect us from something, right? We, we didn't want to be hurt. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with this prayer. Jesus is not saying you should pray exactly these words, but he's giving us a format. But I'll be honest, we would pray this prayer, and I don't even know if some of our players knew exactly what we were praying, but we were just praying for something. And it, it, they made it sound like it was from the Gentiles or, or from the hypocrites. We would pray this prayer every, sing, every time before a game. And we would, we would feel like maybe if we prayed this prayer with sincerity, God will give us a win. Or God wouldn't, you know, someone wouldn't break their leg or, or hurt their arm or something, that God would protect us. And, and I'll be honest, I think we're missing the point here. I think what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't pray like that. And we go on and we live however we want to. Some of our players would go and party right after a game, but we would pray this prayer. And we would miss the hope. We would babble, and we would, we would make sure we were seen by our parents and our other, on the other team, right? If the other team saw you praying, oh, you're in trouble now. And, and I'll be honest, we, we would pray this prayer, and it would sound very robotic, long, ritualistic, repetitive. And we would miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying. So I'm, I'm not going to dive super deep into this section, section but... I am going to talk about it. So our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. I'm going to just stop at that word our. That Jesus, from this whole point, Jesus has been referring to God as his Father. And Jesus prays his prayer and says, our Father. And he's, what, he, what he's saying is that you're part of this family now. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the gospel, that you are part of his family this is our father we're talking about. And it's a father, right? It's the God of the universe, the king, transcendent above everything, all-powerful, all-knowing God is our father who is in heaven, who is seated upon the throne, who is king over all the earth and all of heaven. Jesus is putting God in his rightful place. That's what he's doing. Our father who is in heaven your name be honored as holy. The word holy means that God is set apart. There's no one like him. There's no God like him. I promise you, there's no God like him. And he says, your name, who is above every single other name on earth, is to be seen as holy. So realize who we're talking to. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's six petitions. How this prayer is formulated is there's six petitions. And the first four, as you can see, our Father in heaven, or the first three, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done, is all about him. It's all about elevating him. I'll be honest, sometimes I'm not, I'm not a great prayer warrior. I'll, I'll be honest. I think that some of you that are prayer warriors can teach us a lot. But man, some of my prayers, man, they start off with me, 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 me. I need, I need this. I want, I want this. And I never sit and think about who God is. He's placed as a heavenly, rightful, kingship place. That your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, 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 is talking about a different kingdom than the one on earth. He's using kingdom language. And he's saying, your kingdom will be done, your will be done be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, this part is a very interesting part because sometimes we think that heaven is very far. We have to get there. But the Bible continually talks about how God wants us to change us from the inside out with his Holy Spirit. 
And what he wants to do, he wants to bring his kingdom down to earth. And, and he, it's almost like if those who believe in Jesus can experience his already but not yet kingdom here, right? We can experience eternal life here on earth. The already but not yet kingdom. This is, we're not in heaven yet, but the fact that we get to experience eternal life here on earth is the already but not yet kingdom here. And he's saying that your will and your kingdom being done in my life. That this is not my kingdom. This is not my life. This is your life, Father, and I'm going to give it to you. On earth as it, as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. There's, there's a lot of commentators who, who kind of like to argue here whether or not he's talking about physical needs or spiritual needs. And, and I would argue that he's talking about both. And he's asking now, he's already established who he's talking to, talking to the God of the universe, that your will, that it's going to be your life and your kingdom. And all of a sudden you say, God, give me what I need today. Give me what I need today to live on today. Give us today our daily bread. And this bread is referred to an Old Testament story where the Israelites were very hungry. And God sent the, the manna, the bread. And he, he's resembling as God as the sustainer, the provider of all things. He said, God, give us our physical need today. Give us what we need to do to carry on today. And Jesus, later in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he's saying, everything that you need, I can provide that. God is, Jesus even says that I'm the bread of life. He's saying, I'm greater than your physical, physical need, excuse me. I'm greater than your physical need. No, when we go to God, we petition, we say, God, give us today what we need to carry on today. And give us today what we need spiritually. Some of us have heavy baggage of sin. We're, we're very anxious people. We have anxiety. We have sin in our heart. We have unforgiveness in our heart. And we need God to help us with those spiritual things. God, give me strength today to carry on today. And we forgive us and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is very interesting right here. Jesus is saying that we should continually come to God and ask for forgiveness. But that he gives us the strength to forgive others as well. Uh, there's a word in the Bible, it's called re reconciliation. And the, that re reconciliation, what it means, it means two parties forgive one another. And sometimes we can't always forgive one another. You may have a relationship in your life where you're just, you, just, you can't really reconcile with one another. They're far off or maybe they don't want to or maybe you don't want to. And you don't want to make things right with one another. And it's not talking about reconciling with other people. What it's saying is you forgive even though when they, they don't deserve it. Right? It's a one-way transaction. Forgive, forgive me, Father, for what I've done, but also help me to forgive others of what they've done too. I'm going to go ahead and skip to verse 14 because verse, verse 14 and verse 15 is more of like an expanding on the idea of forgiveness. And it says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. It's interesting, very, very hard to hear verse. So what is it saying? What is Jesus trying to get at? Truly, if you understood the forgiveness of God, you have been forgiven by God, then you can understand how to forgive others. If you haven't forgiven others, 
then you are incapable of receiving God's forgiveness because you don't know what forgiveness means. If we realize that we are sinners and we have made mistakes and we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done, and God forgives you, you are now capable of extending forgiveness. And that's what it means. Those of us who have not been forgiven, it's hard for us to understand what it means to forgive. But those who are forgiven by their Heavenly Father can truly experience forgiveness when they forgive others as well. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Let's continue on, verse 13. And not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is saying that we don't get tempted. He, what he's saying is that when we are tempted, that we don't fall into sin. God will never lead, of, lead us into a place of sin, but he will help us in our trials and our sufferings so that we don't sin. That we are delivered at the end of the day by the things that cause us to sin, the evil one. The things in our life that are evil and corrupted, that God gives us the ability not sin in those circumstances. So as you can see, it's a very vertical relationship at first, that our relationship with the Father is a very vertical thing, that God, you're our Father, it's your kingdom, your will on earth, that you give us what I need today, and then it begins to turn into a horizontal relationship, that we may be forgiven so that we can forgive our horizontal relationships, our relationships around us, and that in our every single day life that we do not fall into sin. Now, part of me is is trying to read this text, and I really don't think it's a rebuke, right? It may feel like a rebuke, but I think what Jesus is trying to say is that realize who you're talking to. When you pray to God, and you have an agenda, I, th- I think that we miss the most important moments with God when we have an agenda, and, and the thing is, this Lord's Prayer, it's so beautiful and very deep that we can read this a thousand times and still God can reveal something new to us. So I encourage you this week to dive deep into a study of the Lord's Prayer and to ask God, God, how should I pray? This is the structure. It's not a word-for-word prayer, but it is something that God, that Jesus has set in stone so that we could follow in his footsteps to live intentional, to pray to our Heavenly Father. So how should we pray? How should we pray? That we should not approach God as pretenders, but we should approach Him sincerely. I'll end off with this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get started with some songs here. The word Father in this instance. I, children are amazing, and I think they truly understand this word Father. They truly understand that you can protect them as a father or as a mother. And, and, and you can truly go to them and ask for what they need. It's a very, very innocent thing, right? That, that they would genuine, they would go to you for help. God is saying, I am your heavenly father. That you can come to me. He, he's saying, I, I care for you. I want you to come to me. I want you to ask me so that I can provide for your life. I think God is mostly loved when, when we do that. Um, I'll share a story. I'm taking a global worldviews class through my theology school. And, uh, and uh, we're learning about three major religions. We're learning about 
uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. And each of these, I need to engage with these three people groups. And it amazes me because our professor, he's, he's incredible. He provides live testimonies from people from, from, from in Hindu backgrounds. And uh, he shares stories upon stories of the power of prayer. And he begins to tell us about how the stories of prayer, when they, they would talk to Hindus, Hindus are very open about their beliefs. And, uh, and uh, in fact, if you don't share your faith within that first conversation, they already know that you're not a believer. Their, their culture is revolved around spiritual things. And if you're not spiritual, then they, they don't think you're a true Christian. But in this instance, they would come and ask for prayer, and they, they would ask, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? And they said, of course. And they would pray, and later after the prayer, uh, the, these people would say, I didn't know you can pray like that. I didn't know you can talk to God like he's listening to you. I didn't know that you can say, Father. I, I didn't know any of this. And in the back of my mind, is, is I would ask the statement and say, man, if you only knew, if you only knew who our Father is, then you would understand. If you only knew that he cares for you deeply, that he was willing to send Jesus down to take your sins and to make it right for you. If you only knew, if you would have just trust in the name of Jesus, then all things would be made right. Your relationships will change. The people who you talk to will change. Your job will change. The purpose in your life will change. If you only knew that in Jesus' name, your life will be changed for the better. And so part of me, again, is, is, is saying, this is not a rebuke, but it is more of like, man, realize who you're talking to. Our God in the universe wants to hear from you. So let's not pray play pretend with God, but let us approach him sincerely. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I've never prayed a prayer so deep before in my life. I may have prayed the, the wordy prayer, but I've not approached God with sincerity. Man, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Whether that's in your seat or you want to come up and talk or bring it up to the altar, you want to be real with God, approach him with sincerity. Or maybe you're this, here this morning, you've heard the Lord's Prayer thousands of times, and something has resonated with you, that these are not just words on a, pray, on a page, but that we get to ask God for the things that we need, and that God comes, and he says, man, if you only knew who you're talking to, if you only knew. So let us pray as we continue on with maybe a song. And in this time, I, I really do encourage you to, to respond to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We know that we are not worthy of the, of the things of, this, of, this, uh, of your word. We're not worthy to, to know you. But yet, God, you want to know us. The things that he lay heavy on our heart, the things that come between us, Lord, I, I pray that you may break those walls down. The sin in our life that causes us 